leading a startup team, whether you're delivering a sugar rush, stocking coffee, or getting a regular delivery of snacks, Office Depot has solutions that fit every startup culture, from getting those first business cards and stationery to ordering fleece pullovers with your new logo. To learn how Office Depot and the California Technology Council have partnered to bring you savings on all of these startup essentials and more, go to californiatechnology.org forward slash member benefits. I'm Daniel Levine, and this is the Bio Report. The American Association for Cancer Research, along with seven leading cancer research centers, has launched Project Genie to determine how to better tailor treatments to patients' individual cancers. The effort will take tumor genomic profiling data from the various institutions and aggregate it into a single database for researchers to harness. We spoke to Barrett Rollins, Chief Scientific Officer at the Dana-Farber Cancer Institute, about the project how far down the path of precision medicine we've traveled, and how he expects it to reshape cancer care in the years to come. Barrett, thanks for joining us. Uh, Thank you very much, Danny. We're going to talk about precision medicine, the effort to better match treatments to patients, particular cancers, and the American Association for Cancer Research's Project Genie, which is seeking to turn large amounts of data being gathered by various institutions and turn it into actionable information for clinicians. First, I thought you could give us a state-of-the-art viewpoint. Where are we in the effort to use tumor profiling to determine the best treatment for an individual patient? I'd be happy to try to do that, Danny. Um, we're at what I would like to think of as an inflection point uh, in terms of being able to take genomic data and understand how it really impacts the care of patients. Uh, as you and your listeners know, um, the ability to obtain DNA sequence uh, from human material uh, has become faster, easier, and cheaper. We can generate enormous amounts of data and Several cancer centers around the world, and some uh, commercial entities as well, are sequencing large amounts of uh, human tumor material. What we know is that there are uh, a significant number, still kind of small, but still a significant number of genetic abnormalities that you find in a patient's tumor that predict very well that that patient will respond to a specific type of therapy, so-called targeted therapy. Some examples include mutations in the epidermal growth factor receptor in a specific subtype of lung cancer respond very well to uh, inhibitors of that that protein, inhibitors like Tarceva. Another example is um, mutations in the gene called BRAF, B-R-A-F, in melanoma, a type of skin cancer. When those mutations are present, they respond extremely well to a targeted therapy called bemurafenib. So with the advent of several of those therapies, we think we're on the right track. Um, 
the vision of precision cancer medicine is a seductive one, the idea that if you can find the genetic sequence or if you can determine the genetic sequence of somebody's cancer, find the mutations that are driving that cancer, then maybe you give that person uh, the drug that will uh, lead to a nice clinical response with very few side effects. As I say, we have maybe 15 to 20 of these drugs that really work well in clinics that have good predictors based on genetic abnormalities, but we're very far still from a vision where precision cancer medicine can be applied universally to all patients. I think the biggest um, gap between you know, the vision and what we can actually do really lies in the domain of having drugs that can block all the effects of the, the mutations that we know about. And there are lots of companies, lots of uh, academic institutions working to create those kinds of drugs. But another barrier to wide uh, implementation is that we don't really know what the full um, landscape of cancer mutations uh, is in human beings. We don't know what the effects of all the mutations are on the clinical behavior of those people, and we don't know the outcomes of treatments. The way to get at that answer is to sequence more and more people, make sure that we have the information, the clinical information associated with those sequences so that we can tie the genetic abnormalities to the clinical behavior, and then provide a way to analyze all that. And that is, in essence, what Project Genie is all about. Well, I, I take it one of the problems is that a lot of data that is gathered happens in isolation, that one institution has it in its, data in its database, and, and generally that's not shared with others. How, how much of a problem is that? Well, it, it, it is a problem. I think that has to be distinguished from what I really don't think is a problem. I think you know, there, there are a lot of people who talk about scientists who don't share information or scientists who are siloed. I, in my personal experience, that's not what goes on. Uh, scientists are very eager to talk about their work, share their information. What we're talking about here is really a um, sort of structural problem uh, because uh, there was no central place because no insurer or the government or uh, Medicare or Medicaid was was prepared to pay for getting this kind of sequencing. Every cancer center that wanted to uh, do something good by its patients by doing sequencing created its own internal infrastructure. And when you start talking about things like that, now we're talking about slight differences in the way one place might do a sequence compared to another place. We're talking about differences in information systems. We're talking about differences in the way clinical information is gathered. Those structural differences create the silos that we're trying to break down now. So it's not a matter of reluctance, but it's a matter of not having this all mapped out ahead of time because there really wasn't a mechanism to have that done. So what is Project Genie and how will that address this problem? So um, as you point out, lots and lots of sequencing is being done in isolation. Um, cancer centers like ours, like Dana-Farber and Memorial Sloan Kettering and others, have projects within their own four walls to sequence as many patients as possible. Ours is called Profile, Memorial's is called uh, Impact, and, and several other places have similar kinds of projects. And each individual place, as they start to gather thousands and thousands of samples, are starting to find 
very, very valuable things in the data, uh, things we didn't anticipate, uh, things that tell you how to do treatment. And so several of us who work in these various cancer centers are convinced that if we can combine our information to get even larger numbers of uh, genomic sequences into a database linked to clin clinical information and make that available to uh, any cancer researcher in the world, we could find even more information. So Project Genie was done, uh, was begun with that simple goal in mind, to find institutions that were willing to uh, contribute the sequencing that they've done in their own institutions into a central database with clinical information either linked directly or linked secondarily when we come up with a question. Project Genie began with seven institutions. Uh, it is, as you pointed out, sponsored by the AACR, American Association of Cancer Research, who uh, put up about $2 million to get this project started. But um, I have to say that a lot of the cost uh, that's going on here is being covered by uh, the institutions that have agreed to, to do this. There's a lot of internal costs to get the data ready, to find the data, to transmit it. And we're all really pleased to be able to do this because we think that the benefit to patients from combining all this data, all these data are going to be uh, a manifest in a short period of time. So that's, that in essence is what Genie is. I think there's this assumption that sequencing patient tumors will lead to better treatments and, and better outcomes. This costs money to do, but theoretically getting the right treatment is more cost-effective and, and better for the patient than using a drug that's not effective. Do we know if this is true? Should we sequence every tumor? Have we proved this is the, the right approach? So, Danny, that is the billion-dollar question. Um, there's a lot of, uh, we've all made a lot of assumptions uh, because sequencing uh, certain tumors in certain situations leads to a treatment with targeted therapy that we can imagine might reduce cost in the long run. We all assume that this is truly cost-effective. I want to be clear. We don't really know that yet. Not, we don't have the data. That's partly what this project is for, to try to establish the database, the evidence base, to demonstrate uh, the benefit of sequencing. Now, having said that, um, some institutions that have sequenced large number of patients have surrogate endpoints, surrogate things they can measure that indicate that, again, we're on the right track. Um, I can speak and would only be comfortable speaking about our own experience at Dana-Farber, but in our, in our project, which we call Profile, we have just about to have 10,000 uh, sequencing profiles in our database. We did an analysis of the first 3,000 and asked the question, of those 3,000, what percentage of them do we know had results that could impact patient care? In other words, what results might be uh, might predict for the response to an FDA-approved drug, or what results might qualify somebody to enroll on a clinical trial? What results might change the way you follow somebody or change their treatment? Those are all the results that. Uh, the word you used is the right one. Those are all actionable results. In our own experience, in the first 3,000 or so of these profiles that we did, we found that 73% of a completely unselected cancer population had results that were actionable. Now, we don't know yet whether finding those results improved outcomes, that have prolonged life, 
Uh, did it reduce suffering? But the fact that such a high proportion, almost three quarters of patients, have something actionable in their sequenced genome suggests the possibility that that's true, and that's the basis of our argument that uh, payers should begin to think about uh, reimbursing for this kind of study. And that's still at a time when we have a fairly limited arsenal of drugs that are indicated by a genetic mutation. Is that right? Just so. Exactly right. Dana-Farber is one of seven institutions involved with the pilot project, as you mentioned. Do all of the institutions sequence tumors in the same way? Do you look at the same information? And if not, is there any plan to standardize approaches? Yeah, that's a wonderful question, too. So um, I'll, I'll, answer, I'll answer the question sort of the order that you asked them. Um, the members of the Genie Consortium uh, have decided to, do, uh, to look at sequences um, that are obtained using the same kind of sequencing platform, the same sort of uh, 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 technology, um, although we will also look at other technologies. But what we're really combining are the what we would call the, the results of sequence, the analytics. You know, where are the variants? Where are the abnormalities? That, that's really the data that, that we want to combine. And we can do that by working with a third party, uh, Sage Bionetworks, um, which takes the data from the seven institutions and basically uh, cleans it up, uh, normalizes it, puts it all on the same standard, uh, puts it together in a way that you can uh, say that we're all looking at sort of the same thing. The challenge going forward is to make sure that, uh, you know, we don't want to stop at seven institutions. We want to be able to enroll as many institutions as possible, but we want to make sure that we have sequencing done in a way that we can uh, standardize and analyze it together. The field is desperate, I think, for some sort of standardization. Um, you know, one of the ways that, that we're looking at doing DNA sequencing in cancer now is, you know, we really want this to be as common and as easily obtained as a blood count. Um, you know, everybody goes to their doctor and gets a blood count. We think cancer patients, the time will come not this future when everybody is going to have their cancer genome sequenced, either parts of it or all of it. And in order for that to really happen, there has to be some sort of standardization. I think the field is working through uh, what standardization would look like, but we're not there yet. Well, the effort is focused on genomic information, but will there be other types of data collected about the patients in an effort to correlate phenotype to genotype? I think that that's a necessary next step. The true realization of precision cancer medicine is going to have to look not just at genomic abnormalities, but um, at other attributes of both the patient and his or her tumor. One example is in immune therapy. Now, this is really just about the most exciting thing that's happened in cancer uh, in the past couple of years. In fact, you can modulate a person's immune system so that it now recognizes cancer and in a significant proportion of patients leads to a reduction in uh, cancer size that's pretty durable. We don't know yet for sure why some patients respond and others don't. There are a variety of markers, so-called, in a patient's cancer that we can measure that aren't genomic markers. They're the presence or absence of certain proteins, the presence or absence of certain uh, RNAs that may predict for who would respond. And we have to find a way to incorporate that. Genie's not ready to do that, but I think each of the institutions that's participating is trying to find a way 
to incorporate a broader spectrum of cancer attributes into their precision cancer medicine, uh, measurements. As the data is gathered, who will be able to use it, and how do you expect it will be used? Well, um, the, uh, that, that was a question that we uh, struggled with for a long time. If you think about um, what these individual institutions are doing, uh, they are spending a lot of capital, both uh, in terms of actual dollars and a lot of intellectual capital, in gathering this information. Uh, some of the things that these institutions are doing uh, are novel. They've been supported by philanthropy. Some have been supported by grants. And I think that there is a sense from some of the institutions that the data that they have really put a lot of sweat into to, to, to uh, generate and retrieve, um, there needs to be a, uh, some sort of return on that investment. And in the academic world, that return is usually in the form of being able to write manuscripts, the information, try to get more grants. At the same time, all of us involved in Genie think that the true value of putting these data together will be to open the, open the data up to everybody in the world who has an interest in this. It's almost, you could think of almost as crowdsourcing of, of new scientific insights to cancer. So the compromise that we've arrived at is that uh, when data are put into the Genie Consortium by individual institutions, there will be about a 12-month period of exclusivity where the members of the Genie Consortium have the right to look at the data themselves. But at the end of that 12 months, we open things up and we have tools for people to do web-based analyses of data. And anybody who signs up and registers will be able to dig into the data to try to find correlation. What are your ultimate hopes for this work in terms of changing the way we treat cancer? Where, where, where do you think it'll take us? I have two things that I think about in that regard. One is sort of concrete, kind of operational. And it goes back to what I said earlier. I want the oncologist of uh, really the next decade, we're talking about you know, by maybe by 2020, I want the oncologist of that decade to order a genomic profile on their patients like they would order a blood count. Uh, we are really quite convinced that this is going to be an important tool in improving the outcomes for all cancer patients. But in order for that to happen, we need to uh, combine these data and have uh, intelligent, uh, doable projects that tell us about the impact of sequencing on patient outcomes. So my, the other part of the vision is to get something north of 100,000 uh, genomic profiles into the Genie database uh, by the end of the next five years, open this all up to the ability of individuals, of, of investigators, to correlate genotypes with clinical phenotypes and tell us what's the value. Show us that there is value so that insurers will pay for it and patients will benefit. Barrett Rollins, Chief Scientific Officer at the Dana-Farber Cancer Institute. Barrett, thanks so much for your time today. My pleasure, Danny. Thank you. Thanks for listening. The Bio Report is a production of the Levine Media Group. To automatically download this podcast each week, subscribe to our RSS feed or through iTunes or other podcast manager. To join our mailing list, go to levinemediagroup.com. We'd love to hear from you. 
If you want to drop us a line or are interested in sponsoring this podcast, send email to danny at levinemediagroup.com. Special thanks to Jonah Levine, who composed our theme music, and the Jonah Levine Collective, which performs it.